Amos chapter 2, verse number 6 reads as follows. Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes, that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, or turn aside away the meek. Uh, and we'll finish the rest of the verse next time. In short, short verses today. Let's bow forward a prayer before we get into it. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have it to study, to learn from, to make it part of our lives, to guide us in our day-to-day activities. Lord, help me now as I try to speak words from your word, that your message can be part of everyone's heart here today. And as all the other classes going on today, we pray that the same may be true for all of them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's the first time we've looked back into Amos in this new year. And it's been a while since we've looked at it. If you remember, the overall theme of this book is judgment, right? That's the big thing we're going to get over and over again, hammered with over and over again. God's judgment. God's judgment being near, right? God's judgment being a warning to his people, a reminder to his people, and also a guide to his people. We saw in the first chapter, we went through... Six pronouncements of judgment against all these various Gentile nations, right? And it was all this bad stuff that they had done that was deserving of judgment. I think most people would read this and agree that, oh yeah, you deserve this judgment, right? We read through these verses and it was a pattern. A pattern. It went over and over again, right? The saying, for three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away the punishment. And then God will lay down what the bad actions were. And we saw in chapter 1, there were a lot of bad actions by these other countries, right? Basically, war crimes type stuff, right? And it was like horrible, horrible stuff, like killing pregnant women during war, selling people into slavery, that kind of stuff, right? All this kind of terrible stuff that no one would doubt. Oh, yeah, that's horrible. Oh, we wouldn't want people to do that. Yeah, God, they deserve punishment. That was chapter one. Chapter one, these six nations, the bad things they did, the punishment that God has, the judgment for these people. Chapter two, we turn the focus a little bit, right? Well, chapter two, starting with verse number uh, uh, four, of course. Chapter two, starting with verse number four, is when the focus turns. Because before, it was these six Gentile nations. Now... God turns the focus toward Judah, right? Which would probably be surprising to them first, right? They would probably have been happy to hear the first six. Yeah, those are enemies. Good. Punish them. Give them judgment. Now it's like, oh, we're turning to you guys now, right? And last time when we looked at this, way back when in 2018, we saw it said, what did Judah do wrong? Judah, what it said, despised the law of the Lord and kept not his commandments, Right? The idea is that they didn't listen to God's word. They didn't follow God's word. Now, some might say, well, isn't this comparatively like a lot less of a transgression? These other people you're talking about, they did war crimes, literal war crimes, like murdering and slavery and stuff like that. These people, oh, they might not have, you know, followed God's word, the Ten Commandments, when it says, like, don't steal. Or when it says, like, you know, uh, don't bear false witness or whatever. But the difference, I think, when we're talking about God's judgment, is the difference of intent. 
The idea was that Judah was supposed to be God's own people. They were supposed to know God's law. They knew it. Those other countries, those Gentile countries, how are they supposed to know? They don't worship God. They don't follow God. How do they know what God wants them to do or not? They have no idea. Judah should have known. They know the commandments. They didn't follow them. And that, to God, makes it even more angry. Just like how, you know, as I gave the example last time, as a parent, if you tell your kid something over and over again, right? I tell my kid, don't hit your brother, don't hit your sister, right? And they do it anyways. You say, I told you, you should know this. And you still, you know, you know did this. Gets you really angry, gets your blood boiling, right? They should know better. So Judah should have known better. And so judgment was going to come upon Judah. Now, we turn to Israel and Israel's problems and Israel's sins. And their sins are many. So many, in fact, I think we're going to take a, a look at it kind of a little bit slower. And we're going to go a little bit, a small chunks at a time, rather than our quick uh, run-through like we do sometimes, right? We're just look at these two verses only in verses 6 and the first part of 7. Talking about the first problem that Israel had, the first thing that God calls out that is worthy of his judgment, right? So same thing, right? For three transgressions and for four, talking to Israel. And again, if you forgot what that saying means, it's just an expression, meaning that you've done this one too many times, right? One too many sins. This is the last straw, right? Three strikes and you're out. Whatever your, your current analogy saying is, that's the way they had their saying back then. So it basically means that you've done this too much. What is one of the things they've done too much that will cause God to say, I will not turn away the punishment? It says in verse 6, because they have sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn away the side of the way of the meek. So what does this mean here? That they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. What does it mean? What were the people of Israel doing that got God angry? So you have to remember the historical context here, right? Because the time way back when was a lot different, right? It's not like it is in the 21st century United States. You know, we have different rules, different laws, and all that kind of stuff like that. Back then, as you know, there was things such as slavery. Slavery existed. It was a thing. In fact, if you read the Bible, there's even rules on how you're supposed to treat slaves and servants and things like that, right? So, you know, slavery is part of the historical context. So what were the people of Israel doing with the poor? The poor. It says what? They sold the righteous for silver. What does that mean? It means quite literally what it says. So when we look at the context, this is the context. The context is that some people who really weren't that bad, right? that in God's determination were still righteous, they were sold into slavery for, for silver, you know, for money, right? They were sold for what? Some of these poor people, they were sold off for simply a pair of shoes. What does that mean? What does that mean? What I think it means, and you know, I'm not the total expert on things of uh, ancient uh, Jewish laws or whatever, right? But my brief understanding based on researching a little bit is that there were laws back then about indebtedness, right? And you have debts, 
There's rules. And one of the things you could do way back when in the days, thousands of years ago, is if people really owed you a lot of money and you had no way of getting it back, you know, back then there's no foreclosure, right? Today it's like, oh, if you don't pay your, your, your mortgage, you get foreclosed on, right? Or you don't pay your car payments, your car gets repossessed and have that back then. There's no collateral like that. So what do they do? The only collaterals they have is their own body, right? Oh, you don't pay your debts? I have the right to take you and sell you into slavery and you can work off your debt to pay it off, right? That's the way it was back then. What's the problem with that? What's God's problem with that? The problem is this, that the people of Israel took this to the extreme and cared only about getting their money more than any human compassion or caring. What does it mean by these righteous people? What I think it means when I talk about righteous people, it's people that perhaps can't make their payment or whatever for some legitimate reason, right? Sometimes you would say, oh, yeah, maybe this guy deserved it because he gambled away all his money. Now he can't pay his debt. Oh, he used all his money to go buy like drugs or something. Ah, oh, now he can't pay his debt or whatever. But what happens if something legitimate happened to this guy? Like, oh, he got robbed and now he can't pay his debt. He's going to take a little longer. Or, you know, he got in an accident and he has to pay all these doctor bills and he can't pay his debt right away. He'll be a month late on his payment, right? Well, it seems like the people of Israel going after those people, people that God calls are still righteous, that it wasn't their fault. They weren't horrible people. Yet they still said, we're going to sell them into slavery. I want my money back. And how much money? They're willing to do this over not a lot of money, right? It says what? The poor were sold for a pair of shoes. A pair of shoes. That would be like if we had those rules today, you know, if I loaned like Phil over here, 100 bucks, right? Is that how a nice pair of shoes costs nowadays? 100 bucks. I loaned Phil 100 bucks. He hasn't paid me for a couple of months. So I say, you know what, Phil? I'm going to sell you into slavery until I get my money back. Is that kind of extreme? Well, God thought so, right? That even over this minuscule debt, right? 100 bucks is like nothing nowadays, right? You could get, I could leave you 100 bucks and you never pay me back. I'd probably never remember. It'd be gone forever. I don't care, right? That's why he, God uses the example of a pair of shoes. Even a pair of shoes. However much that cost back then, they could not let it go. It was, you know what? It's my money. I want it. Give me the money back. Israel's unforgiving, right? Totally, totally in contrast to the way God wants us to be, right? And even more shocking, if you remember the, the broader context when we talked about when did Amos live? Remember, Amos lived during a time of prosperity. When he's giving this message, Israel is not living in like some great depression or whatever. They're living in a pretty prosperous age. So even more so, it is shocking that while your country has riches and good employment and high <laughs> GDP or whatever we would call it today, right? That at the same time, you're still hammering the poor. Going out to the poor saying, you know, give me everything or else go to slavery. We know that's not the way God likes things, right? In fact, even in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus talks to us, right, we know. He says what? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? God expects from us compassion. Compassion toward the poor. And this is a big part of, you know, the, the Christian ethos. That perhaps we don't 
talk about as much around in this church as maybe we should or not. But we know that there's a lot of churches out there. It's part of their ministries is to minister to the poor. Why is that? The poor are deserving of compassion and respect just like any other human being. Just because one person is poor doesn't mean they don't deserve God's love, our love, our compassion. In fact, it seems like the world likes to treat poor people even worse, doesn't it, right? When you hear about who gets scammed all the time, right? It's not the, uh, the smart and savvy, like, rich people, right? You hear about these things, like these, these uh, horrible scams that, you know, like, uh, that we get, try to get fished on all the time, right? Like, uh, you get these phone calls from, like, the IRS, right? Or you get the phone call from the uh, Chinese embassy or whatever, right? You'd listen to it and you'd say, who on earth would fall for this, right? That's what I would say, right? But, you know, that's me. Like, I'm educated. I know all these stuff. Guess what? There are people that do fall for this. And when I read news articles about the people that are dumb enough to fall for them, usually it's not like the super smart Harvard-educated PhD or whatever, right? It's some guy that's down his luck, right? A poor guy, working-class guy that thought, oh, this is my big break. The Nigerian prince wants to give me a million bucks. I got it, right? This is it. Those are people who are desperate enough to do that, right? So it's, you know, it's sad that are the way we live today that the poor, you know, get pushed down on, right? In the most extreme circumstances, you get stuff like that. You get stuff like all these people about these, like, investment scams, right? Who gets hurt by these investment scams, right? Not people that can afford these high-powered, you know, uh, financial uh, brokers or whatever. You have, like, investment bankers working for you, stuff like that. Big companies. They're not the ones that get scammed by these guys that take their money and just run away with it. It's the people that don't have access to that, right? Usually the poorer folks. That's the way our world is, kind of. God doesn't like that. God asks us to show some compassion, not just say, you owe me this. Ah, give it to me. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care anything. I don't care if you're in a righteous situation that you have a reason for this. You know, we ought to have that level of compassion for people less well-off than us. Now, in our congregation here, I think it's less, comes up less, because I think, for whatever reason, whether it be true or not, I think, at least, maybe because we're Chinese and we like to keep appearances, or maybe because it's true, I think everyone here that I know of, more or less, God has blessed you all, right? I don't think I know one here that says, oh, I've been unemployed for, like, years, I can't make my, 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 my payments for basic things, like my rent or whatever. I don't think so. Looking around the audience, like everyone here I know, like either are in school, right, or you get a job, you know, for better or worse, right? It may not be like the, the highest paying job in the world. You might not live like a king or whatever, right? But I think people more or less here are, are okay, right? And, God's been, and so the whole emphasis on helping out the less fortunate kind of gets bit lost when everyone's like that, right? Like, we don't really think, like, oh, so-and-so is, like, you know, having a hard time financially or whatever. I mean, the closest thing we had to the head, I think, if you remember, was back when uh, Eugene was around with us, right? And, you know, Melvin mentioned some of this stuff after he had left us, because at the time, he would bring it out again and again, because I think some people don't like talking about this kind of stuff. You remember, Eugene wasn't a rich guy at all, right? In fact, he's probably pretty poor and lived in a single-room apartment, and at the time we met him, he 
literally slept in a chair, right? And not like a recliner chair, like a chair, like this chair, right? He had no bed or anything like that. And, you know, being a church, being Christians, you know, the church came together. Some of you guys came together. All of us pooled money for him and said, you know what? We not ought to have some, we not to have some compassion on this guy that at least you deserve to sleep on a bed, right? And not a chair. At least if you have all these, like, health problems that he had, right? You deserve a meal to eat, right? Even if it's not the fanciest meal, not a gourmet meal, but at least food and nutrition, right? I think that ought to be true. That ought to be true for us, you know, even, you know, going forward, even though we don't, might not necessarily have that guy around, that, you know, that you should keep that in mind, that if any of you guys are in such a situation, that it shouldn't be beyond you to think that you have brothers and sisters. That's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters, is it not? That we're supposed to support each other like a family would. A family would not let people go starve, right? A family would not go let people go homeless, right? It should never be the case that any one of you guys here, for whatever reason, say that, oh, you know, I can't truly, you know, support myself anymore, or I support my family anymore. I have to go be homeless or starve or whatever like that. You have a community here, and the community ought to have an obligation to all of each other and have compassion and love for each other. Again, you know, we haven't had that many opportunities to share that with everybody, but I think we ought to still, even though we're not like some of the churches where they have a whole outreach and a big, you know, big uh, departments and people running it. You know, whatever the case is, we ought to still have that same level because that's what God expected from us, not just in the Old Testament, right? We know that Jesus had that same level of compassion also for the poor and the needy. All, you know, that's, that's always been part of God's message. I think also what it shows, though, when God mentions this, and perhaps a greater message to us now, seeing as, like I said, I don't know if it's as relevant because of our different ministries, is that also it shows his judgment on the, on the values of Israel, right? It's not just that you guys are stepping down on the poor. It's you're stepping down on the poor because your values are all messed up. What was Israel's value back then? Their value is that the most important thing to me is my stuff and my money, right? That mattered more to them than showing any compassion the poor that for whatever righteous reason could not pay, right? That's what they, that the attitude there was, th- that attitude was, right? In verse 7, it said, like, what was their attitude? They pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, right? They're seeking all this stuff. Even it means that we step on the heads of the poor, right? They want this so desperately. Stuff. The, the search for stuff, accumulation of wealth, possessions, whatever it is, right? That was the driving force in their life. And we know that when that becomes your driving force, that you've gone the wrong way. What does God want to be our driving force? It's not that. God doesn't have it to be his goal for us. That our goal for each one of here is that we get to make the most money. To make sure we have the most things, the biggest house, the fanciest car, the best vacations, the whatever, whatever, whatever. That's not God's goal for us. In fact, those things aren't the things that's going to make us 
the happiest. Those things are things that can make God the happiest, right? There's a whole movement nowadays, right? To, 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 to reevaluate our possessions and see if they're really all that great, right? People keep telling me about this and on social media posting about this, right? This whole thing about clean up your house and throw away your possessions or something like that, right? There's some TV show that's very popular about this, right? Why is that? Because these possessions do not bring you joy, right? That's the saying, right? Does this bring you joy? If it doesn't bring you joy, you should get rid of it, right? That's, that's the whole big thing nowadays, right? And, you know, there could be some logic to that to say, look, people work their whole lives try to get more and more money to buy the bigger house and the bigger car. Does it really bring you that much joy, right? Is that what we really derive happiness from? That we work so hard just so we can get to the next step up and the next step up and the next step up and the next step up. It's a never-ending cycle, isn't it, right? There's always the bigger car and the bigger house and the, you know, the better clothes and whatever, whatever, and you just accumulate more and more what turns out to be just junk, right? God wants our focus to be on the spiritual, not the physical. Again, going back to what Jesus says later on, which fits so beautifully in this, when he gives that Sermon on the Mount, he says, lay not up your treasures on earth, right? Where moth and rust doth corrupt, right? These corruptible things shouldn't be our focus, right? Was he saying instead, lay up your treasures in heaven? Our minds on heavenly things, not earthly things. What these verses here tell us is that Israel had it 100% wrong. That their focus was on the earthly. They were so focused on the earthly, it didn't matter to them that we got to step on the heads of the poor. It didn't matter to them that they had no compassion. It didn't matter to them that they were just screwing people over left and right because it's all about me. It's all about my money, my stuff. I don't care about you. Folks, is that the way we want to live our lives? I hope not. I hope the answer is no. I hope the answer is that we ought to live that life of Christ, right? That life of love. That life of compassion. Not the life of selling the righteous off into slavery just because of some debts, some small, minuscule debts that could have been forgiven so, so easily. I think that's the message here. The first problem that Israel had. But Israel had so many problems that... God had many more verses to talk about it, but we are running low on time right now. So what we're going to do right now is end up for a prayer. Next time, we'll talk about the next problems that Israel had, that Israel got called out on, that made it so that, you know, God was so unhappy with them that he could not withhold his judgment. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for your word in the book of Amos. Thank you that... You know, we can learn something from the sin of Israel way back when, thousands of years ago. We don't have slavery today and stuff like that, but we see that, that the example that they were willing to sell their people into slavery over such minuscule, tiny stuff, like a pair of shoes, right? You can't imagine anyone do that today over a pair of shoes. I hope not, right? But, you know, do we have that same level of greed today in our lives? Do we lack that compassion in our lives? God, we hope not. God, we hope that you guide us and support us in our hope that we do not fall in that same trap, that we do not lose sight of the heavenly and focus too much on the earthly. God, 
We thank you for this Sunday that we can come here to worship you and ask you to continue to be with us as we honor and glorify you and lift you up through our praise, through our worship, through our being here. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.